This is episode 144 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Christy Miller. She graduated from the University of Florida with a degree in communication sciences and disorders, then completed her master's in speech pathology at Vanderbilt University. She has additionally completed a master's degree in gerontology from the University of Southern California and a master's degree in healthcare administration from Florida Atlantic University and a certificate in diversity and inclusion from Cornell. Oh my God, she's amazing. Okay. She completed her CF at the VA Medical Center in Gainesville, Florida, then worked clinically in various settings, including acute care, outpatient, skilled nursing. But the majority of her clinical experience is working in inpatient rehab units. She started at her current hospital, Bethesda Health, part of the Baptist Health South Florida, in 2014 as an SLP working in inpatient rehab and outpatient, then nine months later was promoted to speech team leader, a position that was half clinical and half administrative. After being in this position for four years, she was promoted to rehabilitation supervisor in the fall of 2018 and now is in a purely administrative role. She supervises close to 50 staff that include PT, OT, SLP, and techs in an inpatient rehab unit and SLPs working in acute care and NICU. She also continues to work as per diem in another inpatient rehab unit on weekends one time a month to keep her toe in the clinical side. She is an ASHA Leadership Development alum and was recently elected to SIG-15 Gerontology Coordinating Committee for the 2020-2022 term. She also enjoys volunteer opportunities for ASHA, including SIG-15 Perspectives Editorial Committee, ASHA STEM Mentoring, and ASHA Leadership Mentoring. She has given guest lectures with FAU's SLP program on inpatient rehab and multiple nursing programs on nursing and dysphagia. Oh my gosh, Christy's amazing. Hope you guys love this episode as much as I just love talking to her. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Christy. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. No, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. So my name is Christy Miller, and I'm currently a rehab supervisor at Bethesda Health, which is made up of two hospitals in Boynton Beach, Florida, and we're part of the larger Baptist Health South Florida. I've been there about six years, and when I started, I was a clinical therapist, and then I was promoted to the speech team leader. So at that time, I was half clinical, and then I was half um, administrative. So I was in charge of just speech therapists that worked in acute care and inpatient rehab for a period of time, also outpatient, and then um, in the NICU. And so then about a year and a half ago, I was promoted. So now I'm just do administrative. Um, I don't have a caseload. And now I'm also in charge of PT, OT, and the rehab techs that work in the inpatient rehab unit. So I have about 50 employees that report directly to me. Oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) They make it fun. It's a really, it's a really, really good group. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good. Well, that's cool, Christy. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? So I was thinking we could talk about, actually, this is a talk that I gave at ASHA this year. I've added a little bit, um, another study that I got really excited about. 
It's so funny because just even reading research that has to do with management, like getting like jazzed about it. I don't know if everyone else will think it's exciting, but um, I did a topic or a presentation at ASHA and it was because I think that the topic of management and speech pathology is kind of underrepresented. We really don't get any manager training when we're in grad school. And a lot of us get promoted into managers because we've been somewhere for a long period of time. You know, we have that seniority level. We're the best clinical therapist. But just because you're good at being a speech pathologist doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good manager. So, and you know, even when you get there, there isn't always that support you need to grow to be a good manager or understand how to be successful. And then people can get burnt out. So, and, and for me, this is just kind of like my personal opinion. I really have no data to support this. And I would love if there was data to support it. But I, I've always felt that there was more likelihood that physical therapists would become the managers before a speech pathologist. And I've even spoken with someone who'd worked, she's, her background was speech pathology. She'd been in management for 15 years. She was interviewing for a position that she would have to manage multiple disciplines. And she got the question, how could she manage physical therapists? if her background is she's a speech pathologist. And I was just like stunned because I was like, I don't think anyone's asking the physical therapist, how can you manage the speech therapist, you know? So one of the things that's great about ASHA is they do collect a lot of data on us. And every year they put out the survey of healthcare speech pathologists. And so um, the last one they did, they found that about 8.2% of healthcare SLPs report that they work in administrative role, which I thought was kind of low. I cannot find any data on physical therapy. And I had uh, posted on one of the collaborative groups on Facebook asking if anyone knew of any kind of data on that. And there was an OT named Amanda Vanderweel who responded. She's doing her OT capstone project for her OT doctorate. And she surveyed 75 OTs. And she had currently 28% of them were working in an administrative role and 25% in the past and 26% had never Um, And I would suspect the numbers will be even higher for physical therapy. When talking about why I think this matters, and, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with a non-speech pathologist managing speech pathologists, but, you know, they just have to be patient and willing to learn from their staff. I have been managed by some awesome non-SLPs, but over the past couple of years, you know, things like your podcast, these Facebook groups, you hear a lot about people talking about barriers to getting the things they need. And we're having to coach them on how to educate those above them and and get the instrumentals. And I just think this would be less of a problem if we had more managers that spoke that speech language. So I think not having speech pathologists in the manager positions is impacting us clinically also. So one of the things I wanted to talk about also was the difference between a manager and a leader. So at the ASHA convention, I went through and I was looking at all the different presentations and I found there were 17 presentations or posters that had the word leader in them. And I was the only one that had the word manager in the title. And it really wasn't, I really didn't even think about the difference until I did the ASHA leadership development program in 2019. And they actually spend some time talking about the differences. And so I have one of the quotes from that. And they had said, we define leadership as the ability to set a direction and influence people to move toward that vision. Power for leaders is largely earned as a result of one's ability to build relationships, inspire others, demonstrate technical experience, and achieve results. Management is a term associated with a formal position in an organization. Managers are granted power by their organizations to control and direct others. 
So I especially think in the speech pathology world, we see a ton of these informal leaders. Like I think a lot of us rise to that challenge, but not all of us have that manager title. And the, the other question is just because you're a good leader, does that mean that you would make a good manager? So, you know, if you, and it's funny because if you ever try to Google manager versus leader, manager always going to have those like negative connotations to it. Leader just sounds a little bit more sexy to it. <laughs> Leaders are who people follow. Managers have people work for them. Leadership's about getting people to understand and believe in a vision, work with you to achieve goals. And managing, they talk about administering and making sure day-to-day things happen as they should. But I think it's really important, like if you want to be successful and find joy and enjoy what you do, you really have to be both if you're going to work in management. Yes. Okay. So I haven't scared anyone away yet and they still think they want to be a manager. (laughs) You then have to question your motivation. So I believe, you know, all of us went into this field because we're passionate about helping people. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone down this route. So you, you need to have to find that same sort of fulfillment working with your direct reports as you would working with patients. So, you know, we want to be good at what we do and we want to be happy going to work every day. So there's an article called Power is the Great Motivator by David McClellan and David Burnham, and it's from the Harvard Business Review. And they studied a number of individuals participating in a management workshop designed to improve their their management skills. So they ended up finding three different types of people and their motivations for becoming managers. So the first group are people who care about increasing their popularity rather than promoting the goals of the organization. So obviously, those kinds of people would not be very good managers. The second group doesn't worry about what people think. They focus on setting goals and reaching them. So when I first read that, I was like, oh, that's probably the person who would be like the good manager. But these type of people want to put their own achievements first. So it's more about what can I achieve than the organization as a whole. So the third group is interested in above all power. And when I read that, I was like, well, clearly those people are terrible, right? Because it just sounds horrible to be motivated by power. But it's not the kind of power like a dictator. It's this desire to have an impact, be strong and influential. These people recognize that you get things done only if you influence the people around you. They focus on building power through influence rather than own individual achievement. Their direct reports have a great sense of responsibility, and that makes them more effective. And they can see the goals more clearly, and that makes them exhibit more team spirit. The need for power, though, has to be disciplined and controlled. It has to be directed towards the benefit of the institution and not the personal gain. The need for power to benefit everyone needs to be greater than the need to be liked. And circling back to what I was saying at the beginning where, you know, we see these therapists getting promoted because they've been somewhere a long time. They maybe have like the greatest clinical skills. They're the high achievers. So that person may be more of that group too. They're high achiever. They're, they're motivated by that personal gain. And those people may end up being very frustrated in a management position. Um, another good uh, read to help you consider and self-evaluate your skills, it's a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And they explore companies that were doing average. And then all of a sudden, they just take off and they become great. So the author really, like he talks about, I did not want it to be about the leader. Like, I don't want to tell people it's all about the leader. But he said in the end, there was this consistency with these leaders that they had to devote a chapter to it. And they ended up titling these CEOs level five leaders. So they had created this five level hierarchy of executive capabilities with level five being at the top 
And they describe these leaders as embodying a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. They are overambitious, but first and foremost, it's about the company and not themselves. They channel their egos away from themselves and into the larger goal of building a great company. So I would say before you head into the direction of like wanting to be a manager, I would ask yourself, are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it because you think you can do great things for your organization and your staff? Because that motivation matters and it's going to impact not only how successful you are, but how happy you are doing the job. So if you think you're motivated for the right reasons, (laughs) I also want to put out there to consider the challenge of change leadership. Because frequently, I would believe that most chances of management comes with a promotion from within. And suddenly, you're now in charge of someone who yesterday was your coworker and oftentimes your friend. So I was not originally from the Southeast Florida area. And I had spent nine months trying to become friends with my coworkers. And then one day I was in charge of them. So, you know, it's really not easy. Um, And those people, most of them have been there for a much longer time. And I ended up taking an organizational behavior class when I was doing my MHA. And it almost felt like they were replaying for me what happened in that year and helping me understand why it had been such a struggle. So if, if you find yourself currently in that situation or you're trying to move upward, I would really recommend spending time learning about change leadership just so you understand what's happening around you. You know, you're not supposed to just know how to do this. We have to learn new skills. And then if you are currently in this situation, my biggest message is consistent communication that's really important in bringing about successful change. Um, The overarching theme when you read about change leadership is to share that vision that you're going for and you involve participation of your stakeholders and just keep communicating. Communication is a big key. Okay. So now you're motivated for the right reasons and you're up for the challenge. And now you want to build some skills to move into that manager type position. We frequently use that term natural born leader. And I think some people are more naturally drawn to it, but you know, management really does involve studying and building skills if you want to be successful and enjoy it. Some health systems may offer opportunities to build these skills, but truly you need to make time outside of work. Just like if you want to be a good clinical speech pathologist, you can't just go to work and expect to learn everything on the fly while doing it. You have to spend time doing your CEUs and reading and learning. So there are some things that are available to you through ASHA. ASHA has the Leadership Academy, and it's a website that offers self-assessments. The webinars can be free, or you can pay um, for CEUs. They have a leadership mentoring program, the Leadership Academy Resource Center that has readings, articles, and discussion boards. And that's where if you ever want to do the leadership development program, you can find information on that in the application. They also offer the practice management and the practice portal. And this has a lot of great resources about Medicare, Medicaid, billing reimbursement. When I was doing my master's in gerontology, and I was really trying to first understand how Medicare worked, it was actually ASHA that I used a lot as a resource. And when I was in charge of the speech pathologist and outpatient, I really felt like I would get so much more information from them than my colleagues would get from APTA or AOTA. And then the last thing from ASHA, I would add, is that in 2002, they had an ad hoc committee on business practice for SLPs and healthcare settings. And they wrote a document called Knowledge and Skills and Business Practice 
business practices for speech language pathologists who are managers and leaders in healthcare organizations. So it it's a great starting point to kind of take a look at this article. They offer seven roles that they identified or skills and knowledge to be that manager or leader. And you can almost kind of take each role and self-assess and what area do I want to work on and grow. So looking at skills that you need to grow, the, the article that I got real excited about lately was called Hospital Middle Manager's Perception of Their Work and Competence. And it was actually published in 1996. And what they did was they surveyed middle managers in hospitals. So basically, they gave them a list of skills and they asked them, first, we want you to rate how important you think these skills are. And then you're going to rate how competent do you think you are in those skills. And of course, being male, having a bachelor's degree and reporting to a vice president was related to having a high self-assessment in your competence. And the reason I said, of course, being male is because I don't know if you've ever read the book. The Confidence Code. I really, really recommend it if anyone hasn't. And one of the points they make is about how women often feel like they have to 100% fit a job description before they'll apply for a job, where men are more likely to be like, oh, I fit like 50%. I'll throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. And I can figure it out if I get the job. So that finding didn't really surprise me that the men felt more competent than the women did. But what was also interesting when you looked at the actual managers that they surveyed, 76% of the middle managers were female. So we had more females in these roles, and still the men were more confident. And another interesting finding was that middle managers that previously held a clinical position in that same organization was related to having lower self-ratings of their competence. So a lot of these female clinical background managers were working in these positions, but they had that sense of imposter syndrome. So I am going to talk a little bit about actual degrees if you wanted to go that route, but they did note that those with MBAs or healthcare administrative degrees did not assess themselves any more competent than with degrees in other disciplines, which I thought was really interesting. The different clinical disciplines, so they had they mentioned they did have rehab therapist backgrounds, medical technology and nursing did not lead to different, a difference in perceived importance and competence on any roles or skills. And there were significant differences in between how much the group rated something as important and how competent they felt they were. So they had the hypothesis that those middle managers who held clinical positions in the hospital for which they were working would feel less competent was based on the premise that, that some are promoted from clinical to managerial positions based on good clinical and interpersonal skills without adequate preparation for other aspects of their new position, which I would absolutely agree is very likely. And then their last takeaway was the skill they ranked as most important across the board was communication. So this is not the only place that I'm hearing that, you know, communication is the most important skill. So when I did my MHA, they said they had polled employers in the area and asked them, what are the most important skills you want in your new, in your new hires that come from our program? And they repeatedly said communication skills. So actually, my program requires all people in the business program to take a class on growing their communication skills. It's required for every program. And it was great. It really like, you know, it helped me on public speaking, on anything from like writing an email, you know, just building those skills. And in last article I have in regards to communication, there was an article called Administration and Management Skills Needed by Physical Therapy that graduated in 2010. And in this article, they surveyed three groups. They were all PT backgrounds, but they were managers in hospitals, 
private practice, and faculty members. All groups identified communication as the most important category. So I think in all of this, what I found really ironic is everyone keeps identifying that communication is the most important skill, but they're not going to the therapists who are supposedly specialized in communication to be their managers. <laughs> all right. So the, I wanted to talk also a little bit about the differences of people wanted to go and get additional degrees, which I do have an MHA. And the one thing I would say, it's really important to assess what your long-term goals are if you're thinking about it. And you kind of need to do a cost-benefit analysis before going down that route. Student debt is a huge problem for our own clinical degrees. So going back to school, yet again, may not be the answer for everyone. The few degrees that I want to compare are master's in business administration, a master's in health administration, a master's in management, and then the SLPD programs. So when you're comparing if you want to do an MBA versus an MHA, the thing to know is that MBA is just focused on an overview of the whole business world, where an MHA is focused on business related to healthcare. So if you don't know for sure if you want to stay in healthcare, if you want to have the ability to leave, then an MBA is probably the better route to go. But if you know you want to stay in healthcare, I would say go look at the MHA. But some MBAs also offer kind of like a healthcare management focus, or you can add on a health certificate. When you're comparing the MBA and the master's in management, MBAs are usually more geared to people with some work experience, and it's more about career development, whereas a master's in management target those earlier in their careers. And I have looked at some of the master's in management programs to learn about them, and some will say if you have any kind of business degree background, they won't even accept you. It's for more non-business people. And then if you do decide to go for a program, then you'll start seeing executive programs versus the regular general programs. So those executive programs are geared more to students who have full-time jobs. They're usually faster, more flexible. You usually go through with a specific cohort. And you may need a specific number of years experience, but they're also more expensive. And they probably have this assumption that you have an employer that's helping you pay for it. So a lot, and they, even if they're a state program, they usually don't follow in-state tuition and they could be 30 to $60,000 for the whole program. Now, general master's programs, they're not going to be as flexible. So you may have to go to the campus. The class could be in the middle of the day on a weekday during work hours you're not going to go through with a cohort per se. Your classmates are probably younger, so your networking is not going to be as good. Um, and some of them require residence or internships, which could make it a longer experience. But it's worth checking out. I will say that the MHA I did, I did not do an executive program. I did the regular. And their classes, they put them at nighttime so that students could work during the day. And they put some of the classes online. So I was able to work it out, do it slowly, and it was like a third of the cost. Awesome. Can you talk about your, your journey with all your masters? <laughs> I had no idea you had so many. <laughs> so I graduated in 2007 with my speech pathology master's from Vanderbilt. And I was working in Jacksonville. And my fam- that's where my family is. And at that time, while I was there, my grandmother had fallen and broken her hip. And this was someone who was 91 years old, lived completely independent, and because of this fall, it just, it just, it ruined everything. She could no longer go back to her home. She ended up with a wound. She went to different facilities. And I think at that point, you know, she lived another 18 months. But I think after going through all of that, I just felt like I was so surrounded with 
things going wrong in healthcare. And it was so early in my career that I wasn't really the advocate that I would have been like something like that happened today. And so I think I just had this more burning interest in learning about normal aging at that point and just healthy aging, I guess. And I stumbled upon the University of Southern California's gerontology degree. And so it was more of something I just did out of interest. I did have a scholarship because my husband, we were engaged and he's just kind of like, what are you going to do with this? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to learn more about healthy aging. And one of the things I really enjoyed about it was with gerontology, it is people from all different scopes. You know, you're having people working in entertainment. You're having, there were OTs, there were a lot of case managers, but people bringing so many different backgrounds and learning together about older adults and healthy aging. And really that degree is what led me into an interest of policy that I had no idea I had an interest in. So at that point, I became more interested in policy, learning a lot more about Medicare. And I think the gerontology degree is what helped me get that team leader position because I had more knowledge in that piece of it. And then, you know, when I became the team leader, it's, you know, the more you learn, the more you learn, you don't know. And I, that's when I decided to pursue the MHA. And since I was able to do it so cost effectively, it just seemed like the right move at the time. That's cool. <laughs> but the last degree I did want to talk about too is, um, you know, the SLPD programs that are out there. And some of them, you know, if you are interested in management, I would compare them because they're all so different and they have different specializations. And some of them do spend a little bit more on leadership, policy, operations than others. The one caveat I would say is, you know, if you're going to do the SLPD with the idea of going to management, you're probably staying in rehab type world if that's where you want to stay. And that if you have that on your resume, it may not be as obvious to the person interviewing with you the skills and, and you know knowledge you took away related to leadership and management. And so you may have to be more forthright in explaining that. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I guess I, I didn't consider that because you hear a lot of people say, oh, I want to get my SLPD because I want to go into administration. And, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, how does that correlate? Just making yeah. sure, because I know it's, it's still so new. And, you know, if someone interviewing you isn't from the speech pathology world, they may have zero clue, you know, what the, what the degree was about. So you just need to explain a bit more what came from it. But I have heard that a lot of people who say like they go into it, a lot of them are looking to go more into administration. As far as non-formal degree type ideas, there is something called the Rehab Administrator Certificate. And, a, and it's part of an accelerated transitional doctorate of physical therapy. It's through the University of Montana. So it is, you know, specifically geared towards PTs, but I have talked to the program and they said, that, you know, non-PTs are welcome to apply. It's um, 13 credits and it costs about $5,000. The American Society on Aging normally does a leadership institute. It got canceled this year because of COVID-19. This was an organization that I became familiar with when I was completing my gerontology degree. They have the Leadership Institute during their annual conference. There's no application, but you have to have three years work experience. It's about $1,500 and it's a five-day program and you get to do these online individualized assessment tools and pre-reading assignments ahead of time. And then there's an online web, web seminar. You don't get CEUs, but what I think would be great about this, especially if you're someone who works with the older population, it would probably be a very good networking opportunity also when you go to it. Cornell University has something called eCornell. They have a large array of certificate programs. They usually take you about three months and cost about three to four thousand dollars. 
But if you fill out their contact information, you will get an email and get on their listserv. And about a few times a year, they'll actually offer 30% off. You just kind of have to wait for the codes to come out. So I actually did a diversity and inclusion certificate with them. So it is not as intensive as a master's type degree or class. It was four classes. They each lasted two weeks. And it just it felt more like an expanded CEU, basically. And you get what you put into it. You know, there's, there's message boards and you can participate as much really as you wanted. Uh, specifically to what I studied, it really did help me put together some pieces of what truly the term engagement meant, importance of your staff to feel safe and supported, to be themselves and follow their passions and just kind of tying this all together and how be- all of those things mean better outcomes for patients. You can also join local and national organizations like the American College of Healthcare Executives, Women's Healthcare Executive Network, and the Healthcare Finance Management Association. If you're someone who has a background in inpatient rehab, the UDS PPS Boot Camp, it's a training in the regulations for inpatient rehab facilities. It's a two-day live workshop. It's $600, and the CEUs are unfortunately only for nurses, though. And then Montero Therapy Services actually offers a rehab manager training program. And it's training specifically to become rehab managers in skilled nursing facilities. It's completely online. It's about 30 contact hours. It says it's $1,800 for non-members. And if you join for $100, and it drops to $900. So about $1,000 what you're looking at. And again, no CEUs for speech therapists, though. Um, They offer them for PTs and OTs, but maybe if we had enough speech therapists knocking at their door, you know, wanting to take this training, they would consider it. And then MedBridge, which I know you have a relationship with and are a big fan of, they actually have a large number of courses under leadership and professional development. And you can explore topics like teams, work culture, employee engagement. They even have a course called Making a Successful Transition from Clinician to Manager. And then last, there's a website called Coursera, which is really cool. You just pick any topic you want. It can be leadership, public speaking, management, healthcare, And they'll have these classes put together by university faculty, and they're completely free. You can pay if you want to complete a certificate or like a bundle. But the one caveat I'll say when things are free, you are tend to be less committed. So there have been a number of times where I'm like, this looks interesting. And then I don't go back because I didn't invest any money in it. And then the last thing I had on here just had to do with more informal readings that that are out there that might interest people. In 2008, the ASHA leader put um, Nancy Swiger published an article called Management Roles for SLPs in Healthcare. And even in 2008, she was highlighting that low number of SLPs and admin roles, lack of clinical ladders, um, reviewing competencies identified as important in transitioning into management. She reviews some success stories, and she also gives advice in managing other disciplines. You can look for book clubs for women's groups. We have this Women's Foundation in Florida, and they have a book club. And even if you aren't going to go to the book club or can't participate, you can see what books they're reading. And it'll give you good ideas of books and leadership to take a look at. That's actually why I read The Confidence Code, because they did it for a book club. And there's a website called Get Abstract. It's something actually my employer offers to us. But they summarize books into 10-minute reads. So they have 350 plus categories, including management, leadership, and self-development. So you can pay $99 a year and get up to 5,000 summaries. So if you just kind of want snapshots on what the books would cover and, you know, get more information, but save some time, that's a good deal. 
And last, I have the Harvard Business Review. You can register for an account and you actually get six free articles a month. Or you can pay $10 a month for unlimited access. And they actually also have free podcasts. So that's kind of my data dump on information on going into management. <laughs> I love all of this, Christy. This is so fascinating. Thanks. <laughs> Can I ask you, what's your... No, I was just going to say, you know, what I will always remember in all the advice I've ever been given is when I got my first promotion as team leader, I called my dad and this was his advice. And I tell the same thing to people now because I just loved it so much. Think about every manager you had that you liked. Do that. And now think about every manager you had that you didn't like. Don't do that. Like really, truly, like, you know, what was it that you liked about the managers that you love so much and really taking that to heart? Does your employer, um, you know, I'm sure they're supportive of you taking all these extra courses and things, but did they, did they request that you do anything or did they make anything mandatory? No. And, you know, we've only been part of Baptist for about three years. And I will say I, when we transitioned over. They sent me down to Miami and I had to do this. They do kind of an orientation the first time someone gets promoted into a leadership role. And the culture is very pro growing their employees, giving them the support they need. They do have people that their whole role is supporting the leaders and helping them grow their skills that go between hospitals. So I think those resources are new to us. But I have they they'll assign things within campus for us to do, but they've never asked me to go outside and do things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have anything else, Christy. Oh, this sorry. is so good. No, you did such an amazing job. There was Thanks. so much so much good information in there. Thanks. Hopefully it's not too overwhelming. No, no, I think this stuff is just so wonderful. Did you include this stuff in the in for the show notes? So I had sent you the PowerPoint that I did in Orlando, which should have reference to everything except that one article about the middle managers, which I can send you. Okay. Awesome. That. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Cause I know that I'm going to get a ton of questions about what was that one thing or yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so much good information. Thank you. I think this was just so awesome because I think like you said, every job I've ever had, it's just been like my friends that got promoted and I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. cool. How's this going to work? Like, <laughs> so, so I love that, you know, that you address those things. And there really is such a difference between being a leader and being a manager. And I think people just almost assume that you should just know how to be a manager, but it's like any other skill that yeah. you have to grow and learn. And, you know, it's so funny when I, when people talk about the show, the office, yeah. I, I like, I cannot stand the show, the office as weird as that is, but it's just like, he's such a bad manager that it causes me like so much anxiety and people are just like, Oh, that's why it's funny. I'm just like, yeah, but if it was like a show about a speech pathologist going around a skilled nursing facility, just randomly putting people on thick and liquids and being terrible at their job, would you think it's funny? Right. Right. That's so true. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I know because there could just be such wonderful managers, but yeah. Yeah. We just kind of have to support them. And hopefully we can get more speech pathologists in management positions so they can provide the support we need in the clinical positions. Yeah. Yeah. I I can think off the top of my head of quite a few people that I know that are wonderful managers that are SLPs. And I think what's, what's fascinating, I was talking to somebody and they're like, do you know anybody that would be interested in the separate management role? And I was like, I'm not really sure. They're like, well, we love having SLPs because they're just such type A people. (laughs) Is that what makes you a good manager? Like, I I, I, (laughs) 
is like that really I, what you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, I, I, I was like, that's quite a, I don't know, stereotype, but also just, I don't really see how those connect the dots, but. Yeah, no. And I mean, like I was, I don't have the book on me down here, but if you want the reference later, I'll give it to you. But it's another book that was from the Women's Foundation that I've been slowly making my way through. And the concept was this woman has gone through and she's interviewing different women leaders to kind of figure out what are the secrets to their success. And, you know, again, you Baptist is very into engagement. So that's why I've spent a lot of time kind of learning and understanding it and the difference between engagement and satisfaction at your job. And being engaged means really feeling supported, like you can be yourself to pursue your passion and be good at what you do. And, and when talking about healthcare, it's about giving our patients better care and better outcomes. And, you know, I'm reading this book and really it had to do a lot tying together how we were talking about people caring about the bigger picture more than them per, their personal selves, but also being passionate about it. And I mean, I was getting ready for this interview when I was reading some of them, it really did make me think about what you've built. And I think, you know, I think your passion is what probably drives people towards you and and where you found the connections because people want to be a part of something that someone's building that they're passionate about. And if you're not passionate about managing all these people, it's going to, you're not going to be very happy and it's probably going to, your staff's going to feel it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a huge point. I I think in something like, obviously I am super passionate about the rehab world too. And my heart is all in in skilled nursing. And, you know, I think like you said about some good managers that I've had and some not so good managers and and it's, it's a tough environment to work in. You know, some people love it. Some people hate it. I love it, but Mm -hmm. it's a tough environment. There's so many, you know, learning all the pay, pay your model and, you know, doing what's ethically right for your patient versus what somebody might tell you is best financially for the facility. You know, there's just so many things to consider, but I do think of the wonderful managers that I had that, you know, were always about the patient and always about doing what was ethically right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, you know, we'll figure out the finances on the back end, you know, just do what's, what's right for the patient. And, and I think that's when I had such good when I really developed my love for skilled nursing because I just saw such good outcomes for these patients. And, yeah. and in turn, the, the facilities were wonderful places to work. Yeah. So yeah. I think the places that are just so like money hungry and doling minutes out and you have to do this. And, you know, that doesn't keep anybody's morale up when you're mm-hmm. just trying to please a abstract number. Yeah. It's definitely being middle management is that dance between yeah. keeping your staff happy and also doing right by the hospital or the skilled nursing facility or whatever it is. And half the time, it just going back to communication, if you can just explain to your staff why things are the way they are, it's not this abstract reason that can go very, right. very far. Right. Right. I think what's important too is my own personal opinion um, <laughs> is just em- empowering them to kind of make these own decisions, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I really appreciated when, you know, my managers would say, you know, hey, you decide how many minutes your patient mm-hmm. needs or or how long, of course, treatment you think they need. You know, that's empowering to give me that that autonomy instead of just, you know, no, you can only do this many minutes this week, this many minutes that week. And, and nobody ever understood why, yeah. you know. Well, you're the clinician. You know better than me. You're the one actually seeing yeah. the patient. <laughs> right, 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 right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Christy. No problem. Can I, can I ask you, like, the elephant in the room. How is it managing during this pandemic at this point? I think most managers would tell you what was stressful in the beginning is because like everyone in the world, there were so few things like we were still learning so much. And so the rules had to change. So 
communicating with staff. My director has been amazing. And, you know, she was having weekly huddles or well, really in the beginning it was daily huddles and now things have stabilized and we're not having to meet as often, but addressing concerns, transparency. Um, We have a great CEO. He does a weekly town hall. You can send in your questions and he'll answer them on zoom and then he'll type them out too, in case you, you know, we're busy treating and you couldn't listen. So I think, you know, it's hard because we all have our own personal stresses at home that we have to deal with. And, as a manager, you have to manage your, you know, keep your personal life at home because when you come to the hospital, you're there for your staff. So that's obviously a struggle. But I am very, very fortunate that I work for a health system that has supported us really, really well through this entire thing. So, you know, I, I knock on wood, I'm hoping that, you know, we all continue to stay stable here in Florida, but we're feeling okay at the hospital. Okay. Awesome. Do you think managing through a pandemic has made you even a stronger manager or you just acquired skills you didn't know you needed or it's kind of it's definitely I mean I wouldn't say that it didn't teach me a a few lessons I hope I never have to go through another pandemic to apply these skills yeah um but I think it really just drives home the importance of communication and transparency and you know in Facebook groups a lot of you know I'm reading what people are saying like what what would you want your employer to offer you that would make you feel better, this or that and that. And I see a lot from people wanting just information. Just you just want to know what's going on. Well thank you so much. This was wonderful. No problem. Have any any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. Great job, Christy. This is great. (laughs) Oh thank you. Oh no problem. Yeah. No, we're all just trying to figure out our way, I think, in all of this. But I have a really I'm very, very lucky that I have an amazing team. You know, you're, you're only as good as the team that you have to manage. And, you know, the, the, the speech team that I started with, they've, we started with a lot of people who are newer and they've, they've stayed and grown and they're just amazing clinicians now. And just seeing them grow, like that's like, that's the exciting passion for me. And I've gotten the chance to learn a lot more about physical therapy and what occupational therapy is doing and how I can support them. And, you know, what I think is great, working with them is, you know, I don't know everything. I'm not a PT. I'm not an OT. And just being completely honest with them. And when I'm asking questions, saying it not in a condescending way or like, why do you need this or what? Just being honest with them, you know, explain to me what this does or, you know, like, how do you use it? Or, you know, I see them with a patient. Oh, I've never seen that before. What are you doing? So they've all been wonderful and patient with me while I learn. So I think just honesty with what you don't know and what you're willing to do better also helps. I love that. I think, you know, we always compare like, you know, we wish we could get new equipment or new fees equipment or something. The PTs get a million treadmills, you know, (laughs) I I love to hear that the tables have turned, you know, and you're kind of like, what do you need that for? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, it's great too, because the other rehab supervisor, he's a physical therapist. So I lean on him a lot to kind of be like, hey, they told me they need this. I don't know what it is. Can you help me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christy. No problem. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.